I never, I never needed a mic uh, when I was growing up, so I could have just went without. But anyway, uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. We are in uh, this 10-week series on the Ten Commandments, and uh, we are covering these and kind of working through. We have two more, and like I said, if you couldn't hear me, my name is Mike. I'm the outreach pastor here at Maranatha Bible Church, and I've been here for six years serving. It's a joy for me to be with you. Um, as we've been going through this series, and for some of you, uh, as we've been working through the Ten Commandments, um, it feels as if, or if you have had a conversation with anyone, sometimes it's as if God has a lot of commandments. Does he not? It, he has the Ten Commandments we've been covering. Uh, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament alone, and there are in the Bible as a whole 1,050 commandments. I, had, I was in sixth grade, and I was sitting in math class at Mogador uh, Middle School, and a girl across the hall or across the aisle was having a conversation with someone, and she said this, every time something feels good or something seems purposeful in my life, God simply wants to take it from me. It seems as if God is a cosmic killjoy. Right, we, we talk about the Ten Commandments, and for some of you, you feel like, man, why would God have these commandments? Or why do we have the Ten Commandments in the first place? Why would God give us such restrictions on life? Why would he allow us to experience this? It says in Job twenty two twenty one. it says, agree with God and thereby be at peace with him so that good may come to you. You see, when we come to the Ten Commandments or we come to the Bible uh, in, in any way, we have to make a decision. Is God right or am I right? Is God correct about life? Does he know more about life than I do or do I know more about him? It says in Exodus 20 verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal or no stealing, it says. And so uh, it says in the Bible as well, for a lot of people, um, you, whether you are a Christian or not, you would agree that people should not steal. Um, raise your hand if you have ever been stolen from before. Go ahead and raise your hand. You've been stolen from. Yeah, most of us. Uh, I remember I was uh, at a young age and we had woke up in the morning. My dad came in to explain to us that my brother's car had been broken into. Uh, they stole his stereo system, his speakers. And even as a young age, I had not been stolen from. But I remember, how did that make us feel as a family? Man, someone has broken into our property and what we possess and what we have. In the book of Exodus, God is giving these commandments to the people of Israel, and the reason he is giving them the Ten Commandments is because he is trying to set them free by his commandments, not keep them in slavery because of his commandments. Freedom is this. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. Freedom is the ability to do what you were made for, to worship God. And, and as these commandments come to us, and even today there's this um, aspect, and even as we talked last week and the week before, most people, most people would agree with the Ten Commandments. And, and even uh, this one specifically, if I have a conversation with someone about not stealing, if they would say, I don't agree that you shouldn't steal. Well, I'll steal your wallet and we'll find out if you agree or not. 
Uh, if, if you don't agree, leave your front door unlocked and wide open and just trust society that no one will steal. It says in Romans 2, um, in verse 215, it says that our conscience bears witness to the law written on our heart. Something inside of us tells us that this is true and what God says is true. And as we walk through this, I have five things for us as we talk about the Ten Commandments and how it reveals to us really the reason uh, we have them. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.8, he says, the law is good if one uses it lawfully or correctly. That when you come to the Ten Commandments, um, the goal is not that you would just come and be a better moral person. That you wouldn't just come and, and realize that you got your stuff together or that uh, you would show up to the law and think, man, I am, I am killing it. I'm just really good. I haven't stole anything in like a week. Right? That, that, that's not the goal. The goal is that you would come and say, man, something's missing. There's something going on in here. It reveals and it points as we all go through today. My first point this morning is the consequence for stealing or the consequence of stealing. It says in Exodus 22.1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. In Deuteronomy 24.7, it says, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. There are certain consequences for stealing um, in the Bible. In Exodus 22, if you would read the first seven or eight verses, you would see that depending on what you stole, you would have to pay back. And there's even a verse in there that says, if someone is found stealing and someone murders that person, there shall be no blood guilt for him. That you would get away or a bypass uh, for paying someone back for stealing. Um, when I, the first time I remember stealing something, it was a very scary time for society. I was 10 years old, and around this time, you were allowed to leave your house and just tell your mom, I'll be back later. And so there was no phone, there was no checkup, it was really scary. I would ride my bike to my friend's house, and I was around 10, and anytime you leave a 9 or 10-year-old alone, what happens? Very bad things, especially if your last name is Duma, and then we are in some serious trouble. So uh, my friend Kevin and I, for some ungodly reason, I have no idea, just youthful ignorance. We went over to the neighbor's house. Uh, it, it was TJ Knapp, and he actually goes here, goes to this church. I was 10 years old. We went to his dad's truck, and just curiosity, we went into the truck. We saw a telephone. We grabbed the phone. We thought, man, this is really nice. So what did we do? We didn't just take it. We broke the phone because we wanted to see what that was like, and we threw the phone into a pond. I have no idea why we did that. Now, the story goes on that TJ actually had gotten a car accident. The dad was looking for him, or a four-wheeler accident, couldn't find uh, his phone. No one could get a hold of him. And then, I didn't know how my dad found out, but he just, parents have a way of finding things out. I thought it was so, I thought it was so wise and just, just good, you know? My dad finds out, and then I remember him saying that there was money that I had to pay back for the phone. And he had wanted me to pay more than what that phone was worth. I said, Dad, this phone is not worth $100. I saw the phone. It was probably worth $15, $20, Dad. This is a very old phone. What did he say? You're paying the money. 
So we paid back, we had to pay back uh, what we had already, what costed us more. And then in Deuteronomy 24, 7, that if someone would steal a thief or, or steal a slave or sell it, that thief shall die. Now, as you've been here for some time or listening to this, most of the time someone broke the Ten Commandment, what was the result of breaking it? Death. Right? There was one preacher who said the only reason why a lot of people are here today is because you were born in a different time zone, right? That you, uh, whether it was committing adultery, whether it was murder, that the payment back uh, during this time was death. And you always have a portion of people that get up in arms about that, right? Whether it was certain sins or certain times in Exodus, that why would God be so harsh, well, over 600 times in the Bible, his number one characteristic trait or attribute is what? That he is holy and that there is a payment for sin. Actually, it says in Exodus 18, it says, the soul that sins shall die. And a lot of you would know the wages of sin is what? Death. That it's not just one sin, but it's all sin. And all sin is equally damning, but not equally devastating. It's equally damning, but not equally devastating. It was a few weeks ago, um, I was with my wife and we were on Cottage Grove. Now, for some ungodly reason, the speed limit on Cottage Grove is 35. I have no idea why it's 35. I, I don't understand it. But anyway, we're on Cottage Grove and I've never drove 35 in my life. And so I'm... <laughs> We're driving past, the cop is coming, and uh, he turns around, and I just told my wife, I said, it's, it's over, I'm, I'm done. And as, uh, you know, we pull off to the side, he's coming up behind us, and I said to my wife, I said, and, and for you to know, as the outreach pastor, we're taking meals to the police departments in the area, just letting them know we thank them, and just so happened to be that the next day, I'm taking them a meal at the Summit County Sheriff's Office over here on uh, 619. So I told my wife. Should I tell him? <laughs> Should I tell him? And she was like, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, you can't tell him. What, are you going to bribe him as the pastor? And I said, you're right. You're, you're, you're so, you're so right. So he came up and, and, I, and I told him. I had to tell. No, I, I, I didn't tell him. He actually let me go, and it was really good conversation. And so anyway, uh, and I took him to the meal the next day. We got a picture. It was great. And so uh, the reason I tell that story uh, about consequences or damning or devastating, not all sin is equally devastating, but it is equally damning, that it makes me fall short of the glory of God. Now, how do we steal? What are ways that you and I steal? Um, we could steal time. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit today. We could steal with false insurance claims. We could steal uh, by uh, not paying unjust taxation. There are many ways that for some of us, either taking something that is not ours, not giving something that we are supposed to give. There are really many ways that we, uh, as a people in general, would fall short of this standard that God has before us. And so I want to work through two of them, and then we'll kind of wrap this up towards the last two. But the first one is this, how employers steal. How many of you are employers? Go ahead and raise your hand. You own a company or a business. Yeah. Um, so grew up uh, with my dad owning a company and understanding at least the background of what's taking place 
And James, the brother of Jesus, says this. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvest, harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And here's what Jesus, or the brother of Jesus, James, is teaching. The way you pay is the way you witness. The way you pay is the way that you witness, that you can't um, wave the Jesus flag as an employer, but underpay your employees. That when you try to share Jesus with them or they hear about Jesus and know you are a Jesus follower, it will be hard for them because they will say, man, but he just underpays. Or even you could go a step further in the application, the way you pay or the way you bill is a way that you would witness. He says, you kept back by fraud, that you didn't pay what was just. They didn't give what you were supposed to give. They didn't pay the, the wage that was due for the labor that was spent. Now, I have never um, experienced any kind of employer theft, at least as an employee, uh, maybe potentially besides one time. And I'm gonna be really honest here today. It was about four weeks ago, and it was Pastor Butch's birthday, and I think he was turning 42. And he, <laughs> he didn't tell us, so we just had to guess. And so he was turning 42, and him and Mike Trout had this really good idea. They wanted to play us in this game. I think it's badminton or pickleball. It's kind of like old man tennis. And so they wanted to play uh, Eric, Eric and I in this, in this game. And they had like these trophies and everything, and I think it had their names on it. They already predicted their victory, maybe. And so we played them in this pickleball game, and I remember uh, afterwards, I said, hey, if you want to play a real sport, we'll play you in football uh, outside in the back, and we'll see who wins. But uh, they barely beat us by a point and stole the victory. That's a lie. They absolutely killed us. And it was something that we felt like we needed to give a gift for Butch for his birthday. And so uh, that was the only time I experienced any kind of employer theft. But I, <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. And sometimes he'll be up here talking about how the staff is just so hard on him, just giving him a rough time. If he only knew what I held back, if he... <laughs> only knew what I didn't say or what I would like to say. Um, let's, I got to go to work tomorrow. Let's go to point number three. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about how employees steal. Raise your hand if you are still employed and you would consider yourself an employee. Raise your hand. I want to see, yeah, so most of us. Um, it says in Titus 2, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. The NIV would say not to steal, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The way that we work is the way that we witness. I guarantee Jesus had a good work ethic. I guarantee there was no question if he was working or worth the wage that was being paid him, even as a young carpenter. And even for us, um, that our testimony as followers of Christ, the way you work is the way you witness. And the question, um, even as a young man, my dad would ask or other people, and this made me think about this question right here. Would you hire you? Would you hire you? If 
your employer knew everything you were doing, would you hire you? And there are three ways, I'm gonna go super quick through this, but just as far as application. The first way that employees steal is items. It was estimated last year uh, through the National Theft Prevention uh, Society, they said this, around, around roughly $35 million a day is stolen through items by employees. $13 billion a year. And here's the motive behind it. They don't need it. They got a lot of that. They haven't, they haven't used that in a long time or they'll never know. You see, the motive behind stealing or taking or not giving back is they, they don't use it anyway. It has sat in this shed for, for some time. It's items. Uh, a young man who goes to this church told me about two months ago, his trailer was left outside, has, had all his equipment, thousands of dollars in equipment in his trailer. He's a construction worker. He said that he woke up the next morning and it was gone. Every item gone, $35 million a day in theft, in, in items being stolen. Number two is time. Uh, there's the, the blue-collar way to steal, as I would think through it, and kind of the white-collar way to steal, um, just as I think about it in my head. That time, they estimate around two hours a day that we would steal as a society in time. And what are we doing for two hours? Watching the news, you're socializing, you're paying bills, you're running the side hustle, you're, you're, you're doing all of those things, and the two biggest websites that we visit um, on our employer's time, on personal time, is this. What would you guess? Facebook and one other one? LinkedIn. We are at work looking for other jobs, getting paid by the employer. Now, I do want to say this, and I say this from a sincere heart. When I first started to sense a calling into pastoral ministry, probably seven or eight years ago, I had a mental list of things that I just didn't want to be a pastor because. First off, they work like 40 hours, 40 minutes a week, okay? That's what I thought. I thought, I, I don't even know what they're doing, right? <laughs> I said, God, I, I would like to work with my life, and I, 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 I can do that. I can do 40 minutes a week any time. And I had this mental list that I just couldn't be a pastor. I saw pastors abuse time. I saw pastors not working hard. And I remember sitting down with Pastor Butch and really talking through this and having questions for him. And I want to let you know that our pastor works harder than any pastor I have ever met, seen. He puts us young guys in the dust. We are constantly learning from him. You have a pastor that does not abuse any time, and he gives all that he has to this church. And we are very fortunate. Um, and as a young guy watching that, I remember watching him and saying, well, if that is what being in pastoral ministry is, I can do that. I would like to do that. The third way we steal is credit. Um, and, and this one can be a little bit tricky. You have 
uh, in school systems, right, you can steal. There's plagiarism in college. I remember Course Hero. You can pay a certain amount of money for a paper that's already written and can be given to you. Uh, so you can just change the name, change the title, and submit it. Um, when I was 16, uh, in Mogador uh, High School, I was very wise, so wise. I was in Spanish class for two years, and I still don't know any Spanish. And, <laughs> and uh, Eric loves it. And so I was sitting next to the principal's daughter, and uh, still a good friend of her, and I still know her dad pretty well. He was our basketball coach. And I remember saying, hey, can I, can I see your homework? We are starting Spanish 2 that year, and she did give it to me. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. Got to write it down. I didn't even know what any of the words meant. I just copied, you know, kind of where the words went, how they went. And then two days later, we go to Spanish class. The Spanish teacher stands up. She says, everybody, I would like to read you Miguel. That's me. I'd like to read you Miguel's homework. Miguel is a 16-year-old girl. He has long brown hair. He loves volleyball with his girlfriends, and he is the principal's daughter. Let's give it up for Miguel. And I remember the consequence for that was the sheer embarrassment from everyone. My head is down, and I'm like, how dumb can I get stealing the principal's daughter's homework? I mean, I didn't even, I think she even just gave me the grade that was I needed. It was enough that everyone knew, and the principal laughed about it. It was, you know, it was one of those things, Margaret, we just kind of had to get through. But anyway, um, we, we do steal credit. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it says this, There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and by his wisdom delivered that city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than a shouting of a ruler amongst fools. <sighs> Is, isn't it easy to want to shout for the credit? I did that. That was my idea. You've heard the phrase, it's amazing what can be accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit. We will steal credit. You want to take the credit from someone else so your employer would recognize you. you. You do it unknowingly. You steal credit from someone else to whom it is due. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, the Apostle Paul teaches us as followers of Christ to not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. That what is unseen is eternal. That your heavenly Father sees your work, the credits or whatever is due, and he sees that and he's challenging us. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, here is the tricky part about this. A thief stops being a thief when they start giving, not when they stop taking. That a thief isn't just, he doesn't stop being a thief or she doesn't stop being a thief when they stop taking, but the Apostle Paul says when they start giving, when they start being generous. I want to read this quote to you 
Um, it was Caesar in the early church. He sent out a spy to infiltrate the church because the church was just exploding. He sent a spy, and he says, find out what is going on amongst these people. We cannot figure it out. Sent a spy in the church, and this is what the spy reported. They love one another, and he who gives, gives to him who has not without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. If there is any among them who is poor or needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast three days in order to supply their lack of food. Such is their manner of life in this new people, and there is something divine in their midst. The reputation of a church or of our church should always be that we give which I do believe that it is. A generous people, they give even when they don't have much to give. And I was finishing up uh, my Bible college year and we had the, the president of the school give a whole sermon right as the seniors were taking off and he said this, is God's glory safe with you? God will get his glory either way. If he decides to bless you or give you something, is it safe with you? Will you give him the glory when he decides to use you? In your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your work, is it about me taking or me giving? The fourth way that we would steal is really how we steal from God. It says in Malachi 3 that it says, return to me, And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? You always know someone is convicted or a criminal or even a child when they argue over definitions. What do you mean, robbing? How would you define that? How would you define stealing? How would you... Can you please explain, give me an example of something so clear. Usually no, because they'll argue over definitions. Now, in Malachi, it goes on to say in your tithes and contributions. But I believe the focus that I want to give today is this, that you and I steal from God in multiple ways. We would say, God, I don't want to honor you with my life. I would like to be the center of my life. I don't want to give you the glory that's due your name. I would like to steal and have myself have the glory. I would steal from God in a sense. And and I ask myself this question sometimes, is what's mine, mine, or is it God's? All that I have is from God, or is it simply mine? You see, when we encounter God, or even as Zacchaeus, it says in uh, Luke 19, 8, It says, Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That when a heart is transformed, it goes from greedy to generous. And he gives back what is due. He realized he had stolen from people, in turn stealing from God, and he says, I'm going to give back. Now, who is the ultimate thief? It's the devil himself. It says in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. You see, Satan himself is the ultimate thief or counterfeit. It's the best he can do. 
He will counterfeit from, from God. So when God brings truth, what does Satan bring? Lies. When God brings forgiveness and love, what does Satan bring? Bitterness and hate. When God brings peace, what does Satan bring? Anxiety. When God brings uh, freedom, what does the devil bring? Slavery, right? He, he counterfeits everything that God has invented, and he is trying to steal or uh, rob from us worship that we are meant to give to God. And so how does the devil do this? He will typically, typically speak to us in the second person pronoun, you. When he shows up right after Adam and Eve are married, I find it interesting that he shows up right after they're married. And he says, if you would like to be like God, shows up to say, uh, Jesus in the wilderness, what does he say? If you are the son of God, he will use this you. You are a failure. You are insignificant. You have no future. He'll, he'll stand over top of us and try to rob, steal, and kill instead of realizing, man, if I'm in Christ, I have peace. If I'm in Christ, my future is secure in him. If I'm in Christ, I have forgiveness from God no matter what I've done in Christ. That Satan and the demons cannot be forgiven. It's, it's literally impossible in 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 1.6. They are shackled in chains. So what else would they want you to feel besides unforgiveness and bitterness? Toward people and toward God. It is how they counterfeit. And how I want to close out this morning is to simply look at Jesus' heart for a thief. Jesus died for a thief. He died uh, because of a thief, for a thief, and with two thieves. And I want to say this real quick before I read this. It says in John chapter 10 that Jesus, no one takes his life. He willingly gives it up. No one robs his life from him. But from a first century Jewish Christian or person watching the scene, this is what they see. It says in John chapter 12, verse 6, talking about Judas, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. It says in Matthew 26, 14, Judas went to the priest, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they gave him 30 shekels of silver, which is a slave's wage for a day. You see, Jesus was treated like a slave, so you and I could be treated like a saint. You see, when Judas sells him out and betrays him with a kiss, he was a thief, and he was taking from the money bag. He was using it for himself. Jesus has a heart for thieves. He died for a thief. It says in John 18, uh, verse 34, it says, when Pilate says this to him, you have a custom to the people that I should release to you a man for you at the Passover. Do you want me to re release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And personally, I don't have much patience for thieves. When someone steals, they break trust, right? We protect passwords, codes, cameras. We, we don't tolerate thieves. We don't tolerate them. We protect ourselves, and we should. And Jesus, in this principle and in this story, I think it shows he has a heart for thieves. This is the great exchange that takes place that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. 
You see, Jesus took the place of Barabbas, and they treated Barabbas like Jesus and treated Jesus like Barabbas. He went to the cross because of a thief, and he went to the cross with two thieves. It says in Matthew 26, or 27, 38, then two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on his left. This last week of his life is spent with thieves, with people who have stolen from other people and ultimately stolen from God. It says in Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, to, and he said Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom today. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Which thief would you fall, which category would you fall into? As someone who has stolen from God or takes from God, and really it says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't steal, he sacrifices. You see, Jesus gives, and in the midst, obviously there's something taking place with, with the man on his left, the man on his right, they're arguing back and forth, yelling in between, Jesus sucking for air, trying to take his last breath. What does he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. He confesses and repents. He believes in what Christ is doing. He understands the sentence of condemnation he is in. You see, the word redeemer in the Bible, it comes up some 150 times. And redemption or redeem simply means to exchange, to clear a debt, to, to clear a debt that is due to someone for something. And it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says this, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus offers a clearing of debt. You see, if I were to spend a lot of this morning talking about a financial debt, you would easily understand that. You would understand how much debt you owe, where the debt is going, what you have debt for. It's very understandable. But when we talk about a spiritual debt, sometimes we lack how much we are into God for our spiritual debt. When the law was given, the Ten Commandments, Moses in Exodus 32, he comes down off the mountain. He hears the people shouting and screaming. He thinks they're dancing and celebrating, but what are they doing? They're surrounded by a golden calf, worshiping that. And Moses shows up, he throws the tablets down, it breaks, goes on to say that 3,000 people died that day because the law was given. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes and they preach the gospel for the first time in Acts, how many souls are saved? 3,000. Paul says in Romans 7, the law brought death to me, but the Spirit brings life. 
The reason the Ten Commandments are given to us that we would understand, and really this commandment, our spiritual debt to God and how much we truly owe him. It says in Romans 1 that we have served and worshiped creation rather than creator. And the only way, the only way your debt can be cleared, redeemed, made new is in Christ and what he has done on the cross. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess and believe your record of debt is cleared, nailing it to the cross by a symbol of what Jesus has done. That is what Jesus came to do. That is why he came. And we don't move on from the Ten Commandments simply trying to be better people. We sit in the Ten Commandments and realize I have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way my record of debt is cleared is fully and freely forever forgiven in Christ. And some of you have never made that decision. You have come week in and week out and you're learning from the Ten Commandments, but you've never, you've never asked for a clearing of record of debt. You've never put your faith in Christ and believed in the gospel. And my challenge for you is why not today? What else would God have to do? What else, how, how else could he warn you, remind you, bring things up by other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for the Ten Commandments, how it reminds us of how much we have fallen short. God, I thank you for your grace and what you've given us in Christ. And God, if there's anyone in this room who has never put their faith in Jesus, they're just now understanding their spiritual debt. I pray that right now and even in this moment, they would call out to you for salvation. Holy Spirit, would you work on their heart and in their mind and would they realize they need to accept Christ to have their record of debt cleared. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to be here and worship you freely. And we thank you that we get to serve an awesome Savior, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.